everyone. Welcome to another installment of Pull Back the Curtain, a Philly theater podcast. On this episode, we have none other than Gracie Hoffman. Hi, Gracie. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Best, <laughs> best we can right now. Just hanging in there. Exactly. Awesome. Um, Gracie, you are an administrator, PR consultant, performer, producer. Um, tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and the work you do. Sure, absolutely. Um, so my my main role right now is as the director of communications for 11th Hour Theater Company. Um, within that role, I do PR outreach. I Uh, handle marketing as well as some company management. Um, And then I also own my own company called Paper Doll Ensemble with my co-founders, Amanda Jensen and Sarah Vaness. And uh, we're an all-female ensemble. We only work with female and non-binary identifying humans. Um, And we create absurdist tragic comedy (laughs) through a revising process. I'm also um, a freelance PR consultant. Right now I'm volunteering with Be an Arts Hero, which is an awesome organization working to change legislature and get support for people right now during the um, pandemic, specifically arts workers. I am also a dancer and puppeteer with Arc a Dream for Humankind. I'm currently uh, (laughs) redesigning their website as well. Nice. And I'm a teaching artist with Zoom Dance, which is a great company that before Zoom was cool, (laughs) it was called Zoom Dance, just, you know, in reference to like rocket ships and fun things. But um, now we are doing doing, uh, teaching online. So I teach ages three to eight. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, it's super fun. It's definitely been a highlight of my pandemic. Good. (laughs) We're doing something during the pandemic, which is great. Um. What inspired you to get into theater in the first place and how did you get involved here in Philly? Sure. Um, so I am from the area. I'm like, I don't know if you've seen those maps where it's like when people say they're like, quote unquote, from Philly. <laughs> so yes. if I was like in a different state, that's what I would say. I'm from Limerick, PA, technically. Um, we have little shamrocks on our police cars because it's oh my God. Limerick, Ireland. Um, and we even did a Limerick to Limerick exchange in high school. So we like sent some kids over to Ireland and then we oh got kids and yeah. Um, so that's just a little tidbit about Limerick, but <laughs> it's like um, we have a nuclear power plant, which is also fun. So mm. I'm, that's about 45 minutes outside of Philly. So I've, I'm a PA native, um, grew up here. And then uh, my interest in theater, I really have my mom to thank. She was always singing and we were watching musicals together um, and I was really fortunate to be able to go and see Broadway shows because we're so close to New York. So, um, you know, I've been listening to the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack since I was in the womb (laughs) and uh, I just loved musical theater. And then I was really fortunate enough to go to a public high school, Spring Forward High School that had a wonderful theater program and two great mentors, uh, Miss Cantello and Miss Castellano, who kind of guided me through that process. And then when I was so in love with theater in high school, I decided I was going to make it a career. So I went to UPenn. Um, I graduated in 2016 and 
there I met another amazing mentor, Dr. Marsha Ferguson, and um, I still am working with her professionally to this day. We actually, I just was in a workshop with her yesterday for paper dolls. Um, Yeah. So I'm from Pennsylvania. I just love Philly. I bleed Eagles green and I can't can't imagine being anywhere else. Everybody used to say, you know, don't you want to go to New York? But Mm -hmm. I love Philly theater in a way that they really value you for your artistic potential and not the like cutthroat. We already have a short blonde kind of mentality Mm -hmm. that could happen if you like went to open calls. A lot has changed in the past couple of years, but um, I just think Philly is a really great and affordable city and I'm super biased because I, I went to, (laughs) I went to Penn and I grew up here. And um, so yeah, after I graduated, I stayed in West Philly and I am still like two blocks from the university of Pennsylvania right now. Cause nice. I just, I can't leave. Nope. They sucked you in. They did. They really <laughs> sucked me in. Yeah. I think that's something that I was talking about yesterday with PAX about um, just how Philly theater is so different from New York and how it's yeah. its own thing in its own way. And that's what makes it really special too. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think yeah. that I could be working full-time at a musical theater company and also mm-hmm. own my own devised theater company and also, yeah. you know, um, so it's, it's really a great city to kind of tailor your career to your interests and not limit yourself. Yeah. No hate um, on New York though. New York's like, no hate. you know, no hate. This is- it's, it's great in its own way. It's all, exactly. it's all relative. Yeah. And I love that you talked about your mentors too, because something that I've learned in theater, at least, is that it's all about the collaboration and who you're working with. And like, it can be someone older than you, but also someone younger. And it's all about the teamwork and finding the artistry together. So yeah, I should also it. mention that um, I have Seth Rosen to thank for a lot of my <laughs> career. Uh, he's uh, the artistic director and founder at Interact Theater Company, where I did my apprenticeship after uh, I graduated college. So Mm -hmm. my education has been so deeply steeped in Philadelphia. I just, I don't think I could ever leave. Um, Mm -hmm. But through him, I worked with Catherine Marshall, otherwise known as Khaki, um, who is, she was a wonderful, wonderful woman. And she had a hand in developing a lot of the companies that we know. She was one of the founding board members of Interact and uh, helped get so many companies off of their, their feet. She has a mm-hmm. lifetime Barrymore award. And um, she was like really a crucial person to me at a, a really pivotal time in my early career. Um, she passed away last August. Um, ugh, I'm yeah. It's like pretty gutting. Um, yeah. but she, she definitely la- left a legacy and, and a yes. really deep impression on me and also so many other theater artists in town. Yeah. At least her legacy can live on. That's, that's very important. Yeah. Um, did you always know that you wanted to be, um, an administrator too, or were you really focused on performing or did that change? Like as you talked to more mentors and had more education, like how did that go for you? Yeah, of course. Um, So originally when I was, you know, way back in high school, when (laughs) I was like, I am going to study the theater. um, (laughs) I, even then I knew that I wasn't going to be satisfied 
just being on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a great passion for education and uh, the liberal arts as a whole. Um, and so that's why I ended up going to Penn to study theater instead of like a conservatory situation to get a, a BFA. Mine is a, a BA in theater arts. And that was really important to me because I really value the academic aspect of the history of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then w- during my time at Penn, it I fell into these leadership roles because we have <laughs> – so much um, student theater. There mm-hmm. are like seven individual groups that have their own unique um, shtick about what they're producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up very quickly during my freshman year, I ended up on the board of an experimental <laughs> theater group called Intuitons. Um, and then I'm like involved in producing. Then I'm like backstage and I'm sewing mm-hmm. costumes and I'm helping, you know. And so in student-run theater, very similar to professional theater, it's an all-hands-on-deck situation and it's really valuable to kind of develop multiple skills. So while I was acting in the Intuiton show, I was also, you know, helping on the production end. And mm-hmm. then the more I kind of developed those leadership positions, I was like, cool. Maybe this is something <laughs> that I I could end up doing to, you know, give myself healthcare benefits in yeah. the future. <laughs> that, um, yeah. And if you ask my family, they will tell you that I have always been bossy. So <laughs> mayhaps I was destined <laughs> to be in some kind of administrative position. Um, my fourth grade teacher commented on a writing assignment I did once and he said you're gonna be my boss someday oh god (laughs) Um, so apparently it was yeah so I I think it was in me but I just needed to channel it into theater specifically and yeah yeah so then after my apprenticeship yeah with interact I was like oh great I could actually do this specifically in social media and marketing because Mm. that's something that I love yeah yeah Great. Yeah, I think especially in, I mean, my program is Entertainment Arts Management at Drexel, and I think there are definitely a lot of people that go into the program because they want to be an artist, whether that's a performer or a musician, whatever, Um, but they want to get the management skills and the admin experience so that they can, like, know what to do when they get an agent or (laughs) know about copyrights when they're making their own uh, work. Um, But yeah, and then even in when theater, when I started my freshman year, I only knew about like stage management because that was what I did. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that development for theater was a thing and mm-hmm. how extensive marketing can be. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know how many routes there are in theater and there really are a lot. Oh yeah. And if you ask, I think like 99% of people who are involved in professional theater started mm-hmm. out as actors And then we're like, oh, I actually just love theater. And I don't know if perform like if on the front of of the stage is exactly where I need to be. But like, actually, I'm really better suited to, you know, being the videographer and Mm -hmm. then taking over the whole gosh dang company. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of the um, the artists that I have on this podcast are also performers. I can't think of 
we'll see. I got to look at my list again, but I think it's like very few are, are it's not intoxicating. Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> being on stage is its own kind of high mm-hmm. that you just can't get anywhere else. And when you fall in love with that, it just has you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when, you know, you have to be some level of crazy to professionally be involved in this industry. And so <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, then you realize like, oh, I need to pay bills and maybe buy a house someday or mm-hmm. I want to, you know, go see the dentist and not yes. pay a million dollars. So yeah. it'd be cool if we didn't have to do that. But, you know, capitalism is a reality that sucks. So mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if so we like, could just have... make it work. Yeah, exactly. If we yeah. had universal health care for all, then I think everybody could just make their own art without restrictions, and that would be wonderful. Government Oh, that would be great. So you should great. Go, to, go to Europe and see some government <laughs> subsidized theater, and that's uh, pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> I wish. Oh my god. I know. Could you imagine. Remember yeah. places, Margot. Remember places. Oh, I like places. What, Ten months into the pandemic. Oh my God. Oh Lord. It's great. Anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell me about Paper Doll Ensemble and how being involved in, you said it's an all female company. How does that impact the work you do? Um, Yeah. Tell me about that specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm super biased, but Paper Doll Ensemble (laughs) is like pretty awesome. Um, (laughs) So how it started was my co-founders and I were actually thrown together pretty randomly on a different project with a formerly comprised feminist theater company in town called Revamp Collective, um, which since I don't, I haven't seen them producing lately. I'm not sure if they're still around, but um, they got a grant to do a beyond the surface artist lab and they were hiring artists from different disciplines to come together and lead a devised piece based off of the fairy tale snow white and rose red which is like the lesser known snow white the one with her and her sister and it's like super (laughs) fucked up can i curse yeah okay great that's good it's welcome they like, you know, it's the the heterosexual dream. You meet a prince and then you get married and that's like the best thing that could happen to you in your life, right? Mm, yes, it's exactly. Like, goals, that's the only goal there is. Like what else are you doing, young women? Um and you don't so need a Yeah, well, what? Right. So that really started our fire for retelling traditionally like feminine stories mm-hmm. in a way that was written by women for women and about women. Mm-hmm. So um, we take stories like fairy tales and family room dramas and, you know, things that traditionally we have seen written from the perspective of a man, you know, mm-hmm. who wrote a doll's house, not a woman who, you know, um, <laughs> And so we found that the female characters in these stories really lack agency and they lack authenticity and they're not really fleshed out characters. They're like props or, you know, heavily fall under the male gaze. They're this like Mm -hmm. ideal that reinforces 
this like heteronormative fairy tale that is just like, why, why? Um, So that's kind of our mission is to, you know, give voice to marginalized people. And that originally started with women. And now obviously we're, we're trying to amplify people of color more. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not just giving voice to the marginalized. We want to give them agency, which is something that we find that they really lack in other traditional storytelling and in traditional storytelling formats where it's like, okay, great. We're just going to hand people of color a script Mm -hmm. and then expect them to perform it, but they're only going to be the front facing part. They're only going to be the part that you see on stage, but really there's like white people behind the scenes, pulling the strings, writing the work, creating what the narrative is. And Mm -hmm. so our process is super unique in devising because every one of our performers is also a creator. So Mm -hmm. we make the script from a series of improvisations that our performers are generating themselves. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like uh, Tai Wo, who was in our last show, Mary Mary Quite Contrary, and is a wonderful black woman. She's a dear friend. Um, she got to make her character <laughs> on The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> and she got to create that for herself instead of falling into this, like, it's a very common hot topic and trope, especially on The Bachelor and Bachelorette right now, where it is like mm-hmm. the token woman of color. And yes. there's, you know, so she just obviously didn't want to be that and created this wonderful, complex character because she was able to to work from the inside out and really have that control, which is mm-hmm. the, the crux of the issue. I yeah. Think. So wonderful. Yeah, I love Paper Dolls. Working with women is great. It's like, it's so supportive and nurturing and wonderful to just be like working with female identifying and non-binary humans where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, I just like it. It feels nice. <laughs> so. I feel comfortable. Yeah. It's Absolutely. very like, yeah, I was also telling Pax yesterday that I have been in the room with a lot of male designers or just male technicians. And then mm-hmm. since I'm on the production side, I think sometimes being a female on the production side is looked down upon um, or looked at in a different way. So being with other women, especially in production, is something that I really look forward to in the future. Um, but I've definitely Girls, come on that. over. Oh, my God. <laughs> come on over. Yeah, like <laughs> it makes a big difference when you are in a supportive room. Like yeah. you can't just say, oh, look, we have an all-female cast. Isn't that great? When – the lighting designer and the set designer and the stage manager and the director are all men Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, well then (laughs) you're not creating an environment where I'm comfortable to take risks and be vulnerable and, you know, to be able to have the nurturing environment that is necessary for good creation to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you're tokenizing me. (laughs) Yeah. And I think sometimes too, it extends to like, I mean, obviously extends to like personality and everything else that goes into working with others and working as a team. Um, Like I am a very shy person and I talk very quietly. Um, And I think as a stage manager, sometimes that's looked down upon. Um, But 
when I'm in the room with people that want to bring the best out in me and like push me further, even though I'm in one of those leadership roles already, you can feel that difference in support in the room versus something that is not nurturing and something that just wants to get the job done for the sake of getting the job done. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's people who are product driven and people who are process driven. And yeah. we are at Paper Dolls very process driven. <laughs> we actually, yeah, we had to have a, have a conversation with everyone yesterday that was like, we don't know what the show's going to be. If you want to write a prompt that's about legs, um, you know, the color blue and avocados, like, let's do it. Nothing let's is off it. the table, you know, yeah. like maybe that is our show. We have no idea yet. Yeah. Cause um, who knows what will come from it too. And that it's like, honestly, when you put those things together is when the most amazing stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh my God, that's it. Our show takes place entirely in a closet, which was the <laughs> moment for Mary Mary, which because the show did, we decided that it was this like <laughs> secret closet in the Bachelor Mansion that only these three women knew about. Oh my and God. Like, the only reason we came up with that was through some like ridiculous series of improvisations where like I decided I was going to go poo in a closet or something like, (laughs) I don't know. Naturally, And and then we all like looked at each other and we were like, Oh my God, a closet. The show's in a closet. Um, So it's like, yes, it's the freedom of being able to make discoveries like that. Mm -hmm. Isn't something that you can just say, is true. You can't just be like, no, we're all free here. We're all, we're all equal. We all matter, you know? Mm -hmm. And then just continue. And then just keep doing the same exact thing that you've, exactly. Like you, you have to, where are the receipts? Yeah. And in that same vein, um, what are some common misconceptions about being a female artist, either as a performer, as a marketer, are there any challenges with being a female artist that we kind of talked about? Um, I can't think of a single challenge, Marco. I don't <laughs> I know. It's very easy. <laughs> I think um, it's super easy. No. <laughs> um, well, it's funny because I was thinking about the these – when I said that my family would tell you that I'm bossy, right? Yeah. That is a very common thing that I have struggled with basically my entire life, but still in the professional world that because I'm a woman, when I assume leadership roles or when I'm in a position of like, quote unquote power, Mm -hmm. I am very easily seen as bossy or bitchy when a man would be seen as a strong leader. Mm -hmm. And that's super frustrating because I feel like as women, we like also have to be palatable in a way that is not expected of men. Mm -hmm. And it's not even, it's not even always conscious with the people who are, are seeing you that way. It's so deeply ingrained in our society and like just in everyday interaction and how we function that it's like, oh, well, oh my God, she's. She's so pushy and bossy and bitchy. And uh, if a man was doing the same exact thing, he would be praised. So that's that's the first thought. Yeah. And it's like, how do you move past that first thought and get to what's underneath? Yeah. 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 um, The other thing (laughs) is on stage, 
when I play a sexual character, that does not mean that you have a right to my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, I'll give you an example. Yeah, go for it. So I worked with a company called Juniper Productions, and we did a show for Fringe years ago. I don't mm-hmm. know, 2016, 2017. Sure. And um, I played a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And it was a short play. We did a series of four plays, but this one I played a sex worker and I wore this like very revealing outfit and like a silk robe. And it was a super powerful piece that was like about treating sex workers as humans and like treating right. them correctly, right? So it was like it was a it was a good piece. And years later, Margot, the photographer who I won't name, but mm-hmm. the photographer I saw on his website had used a photo that he had taken during the production of my ass, Oof. zoomed in on just the booty. Sure, of course. And plastered his company name on my ass. Oh. And was using it on his website as like promotion because it was such a great photo. And I fucking lost my shit because what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, like, like who gave you the permission to do that? Yes. Where it's like, okay, you were the photographer for this production, but those <laughs> photos should belong to the company. We paid for them, right? Yeah. And then if you want to use a photo, okay, don't zoom in on a part of my anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I asked him to take it down, he was like shocked that I was upset. Mm. And he told me that I had put my body out in this space. And so what did I expect was going to happen? Oh, wow. Wow. Um, I was really upset and appalled. And then honestly, like, felt violated. But in a way that people often do when dealing with sexual harassment or assault, Mm -hmm. I was like, is he right? Is this – like, blaming myself in that I was like, I – I accepted wearing, you know, basically lingerie on stage in public. And then I was like, hold on, this is still my body. Yes. You I know, have agency over it. Yes. Even though I'm a performer, I'm not, you know, <laughs> like a, a stripper is not, you can't take a picture of her ass and then use it for, you know, like she, no. Yeah. And, and it's out of context, too. It, it just was ridiculous. And so, um, I couldn't help but think that that would not be happening if I was not a woman. So, um, and that also goes into just, I mean, artists using their bodies and it's, I think it's definitely a female driven thing, but not just females. I think artists are expected to do a lot more (laughs) than you're willing sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our body is our instrument and our tool for, for creation, for creating art. And sometimes when people hire you, they think that that means that they just get to use that tool Mm -hmm. when in reality you are a human being with thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And also with ultimate say so and ultimate control because it is yeah. literally your body, mm-hmm. um, your body, your voice, your, you know, everything that physically comes from you yeah, is still yours, even when someone is paying you to do it. 
Yes. That's so interesting too, just thinking like from a management perspective of you put on the show and this happens a few years later. Like how can you even safeguard that or um, Mm -hmm. like expect that? Um, And it's a lot of it in theater, I think is like in the moment, in the show, get through the show. Like how does this look to an audience live? But then there's also proof of it and footage um, and footage could be manipulated in ways yeah exactly and I will say Sonia Ronowitz who is um is the yes, producing we will have director. her on the podcast later oh great <laughs> um she was wonderful about it and I contacted her immediately and she was like oh my god I'm so sorry yeah. I'm pulling up his contract we're never hiring him again you know um but I had never even you know and as an administrator I had not thought to explicitly outline, you know, okay, great. Here's your contract. You're going to take photos from us. This is what we expect from you, but also what we do not expect from you. (laughs) Also what is completely off the table. And in terms of like ownership of the physical photo, um, I don't know that it had been explicitly outlined in a contract situation. Mm -hmm. So um, it's definitely something that I'm thinking about going forward. And when I'm writing contracts, you know, thinking about, ownership and copyright and how I can then protect my actors from something like this happening to them. Yeah, exactly. Oof. Listen up, managers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, just going to take a second there. So I'm sorry. That was a, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. I wasn't sure, you know, and honestly, I haven't talked about this to mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, but when I was thinking about specifically the challenges of being a female body, yeah. um, I just could not stop thinking about I'm this. And, I mean, this happened during the, uh, during the pandemic. It was like probably April oh, that this yeah. happened. So it's like fresh on my noodle. And um, yeah, years after the production where I'm like, leave Brittany alone. Yeah. You know, like, geez. Who would have thought? Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you. And Thanks, again, boo. managers, listen up. <laughs> this whole point of this podcast is like future arts managers. What can you learn from this? It's things yeah. like this. Like you wouldn't think to look out for something like that in a contract or whatnot, but yep. it is very possible. There's mm-hmm. so many things that can go wrong, especially in a live show, mm-hmm. let alone afterwards. So yep. lesson learned. <laughs> and then kind of going into even more about what being a female is like in the industry, but specifically we are both white cisgender women yes. in the industry. Um, either through your work at 11th Hour or Paper Doll Ensemble, how do we as white cisgender women create safe spaces and uplift those other voices? Yes. I'm so glad that you're asking this question. Um, it's a big answer, one. No, the answer is yeah. we, we better freaking do it. It is way past time and it is so important um to I'm glad the way that you phrased it to create safe spaces like I was talking about with you know having female and feminine humans in the room not just 
on the forward facing part, but all in every aspect of the organization. So ultimately our role as white women and as white people really is to not only be allies, but be accomplices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard that term for the first time in a session that I did with the woke coach, which is like a wonderful, Ooh. they're awesome. Um, they led a session during the national American musical theater Alliance. Um, mm-hmm. we had a, a conference in October, November. I don't know. What is time? Um, <laughs> And I was like, wow, yes, that is definitely, that is 100% what it is, where it's not just I stand in solidarity with people of color, but like, what are you doing to literally uplift them, to bring them into every aspect of theater production so that they feel safe to be able to create in a space where you're welcoming them, you know? So- To more explicitly answer your question, with both Paper Dolls and 11th Hour, we have worked on creating anti-racism action plans that are not just, you know, we condemn the violence that is happening in our nation. Like, you know what? If you have a brain in your head, you should do that. But what really needs to happen is, okay, so what are you going to do about it? What are the actionable items Mm -hmm. that are going to work towards systematic change because that's how you defeat systematic racism. Mm -hmm. And so um, a a common goal within both organizations was to not only (laughs) increase the amount of people of color that we see on stage in our productions, but in every level of creation. So Mm -hmm that we prioritize hiring a stage manager of color or directors of color and Mm -hmm. writers of color um, and board members of color, (laughs) administrators of color. Um, And so paper dolls that we have been, very successful <laughs> and then we we're, we're super lucky and we're, we're a really young organization. So the, you know, the onus and the time commitment of being on our board is maybe not as daunting as being on something as large as 11th hours board. Sure. Um, and, you know, we've only been around for a couple of years and not 16 seasons where we've like developed a, <laughs> you know, um, so we've, we're very excited to be bringing on Victoria Walters um, and and we already had a wonderful board member, Vanita, so that our business advisory board includes women of color. So that when we're, because ultimately it's a pipeline and it's a pipeline problem where if the people making the budgets are not also people who have marginalized voices, then ultimately there is a level of control that is stripped away from them. Right. Yes. So, and then, then there's a, the people who choose the shows for your season. So, (laughs) right. So when white people are choosing your shows, that is another level of control that we need to relinquish or we need to instead amplify voices of color. Mm -hmm. So for 11th hour, we're assembling a season selection committee so that we can gather artists of color who are, you know, musical theater artists to say, look at these great shows that you didn't even know existed that are written mm-hmm. by humans of color and are actually 
perfectly aligned with 11th Hour's mission and blah, 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 right? So then we're producing shows that people of color then want to be in. (laughs) And then we hired Alani Jackson, who is awesome. And she is a a woman of color. And she is our casting director. So that then the person asking you to be in the show is a person who looks like you. But not (laughs) only that, who understands the oppression and the intricacies of all of the social injustice Mm -hmm. um, that they can say, here's a space where artists of color are getting their information from that Mm -hmm. you don't have access to because you're not looking, you're not paying attention. And you also are actually not welcome in this space as because we don't trust you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's great work, though. I'm, I'm glad there's, like, measurable things, um, measurable goals, measurable yeah. outcomes that are coming from that. And it's not just, like you said, we stand in solidarity with. Drives me nuts. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to actually do? Right. Yeah. Even, and then a big turning point for me was, was Ben and Jerry's. Have you read Ben and Jerry's? Yes. Oh, um, they're, they're really great at what they do in, like, yes. all friends. <laughs> Oh, well, A, love Ben and Jerry's. B, yes. <laughs> they, they released a statement that was anti-racism, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were saying, that's another thing where it's like, we're not looking for diversity or inclusion, you know, anymore. It's not enough to have a diverse organization. You need to be explicitly anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so Ben and Jerry's literally was like, here's the steps we want you to take. Call your senators. We ask governor so-and-so to do X, Y, Z. And it's like, yes. Great. Yes, ben you. and Jerry. Flipping ice cream company, right. Can mm-hmm. do this. Then nonprofit organizations, especially have, mm-hmm. have a responsibility to be working towards those quantifiable, actionable steps. And yeah, Put, literally putting their money where their mouth is and yes. to not make excuses. And especially nonprofit organizations that produce arts because yes. like, as we both know, arts, I mean, arts and culture is how a lot of people learn things, learn empathy about each other, um, learn stories about other people, like of all organizations, yeah. nonprofit arts organizations should be upholding that even further. Absolutely. And, you know, Paper Dolls is, we're not a nonprofit yet, uh, but mm-hmm. hopefully in the future we are fiscally and sponsored by Plays and Players, which is our nice. nonprofit sponsor. Um, but we also made a decision that, you know, we're very aware that the three co-founders, Sarah, Amanda, and myself, are all mm-hmm. blonde, cis, white women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the past, Sarah and I have both been on the stage and we were like, you know what? I'm actually not interested in having, in seeing the, that story, mm-hmm. you know? So Sarah and I both decided that we were going to step back and instead we have like amazing people of color who are going to be performing. And if we can support them, like that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And how does that come through? as like in marketing is any of that yeah um 
versus a preparer administrator? How does marketing change that conversation? Oh, girl, let me <laughs> tell you. So, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, there is a a huge amount of tokenization mm-hmm. that happens in the marketing space where theater companies are trying to appear as, you know, inclusive as possible in a way that they are virtue signaling and that they're like, give us pats on the back, which is what I actually was going to say where I I didn't mean for me to be like, I'm making this great sacrifice of not being on stage. Like I am, that's not how I wanted that to sound, but it kind of is how I wanted Mm -hmm. it. So I just wanted to like tagline that. But ultimately- You can't just use the one black person you had in your show to be on the cover of your brochure. Mm -hmm. You can't choose the one Asian American human being that you had to be the, you know, the cover of your Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not honest. It's not genuine. And on the other side, who we're marketing to needs to change a little bit mm-hmm. in that yeah, yeah. <laughs> traditionally <laughs> traditionally our audiences are mostly older and white mm-hmm. and uh 11th hour and paper dolls actually had before the pandemic been involved in this program um this access arts program oh, yes. where yeah, we offered a certain amount of tickets that were literally $2 to program. anyone who had an access card. And it was super important and a way for, you know, people of a lower socio- socioeconomic status to be able to see art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, like, barrier of monetary accessibility is something that makes it difficult for people who – want to see art to actually access it and that is kind of ridiculous so um the work that you're making right if you're making this work by written by people of color about people of color Mm -hmm. for white people yeah yeah that's a little tricky and that's a little that doesn't seem quite right Mm -hmm. so you know something that we're working on now is like how do we kind of tap into the the network of who our target audience is. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much, you know, so many Facebook groups, so many, you know, like meetup groups and all sorts of things. Like these humans exist and there are many, many, many of them in our city. Yes. So, you know, if we're making, if we're finally making art that is more representative of the population of our city, how do we kind of let them know that, that they're not going to be seeing, you know, another how to succeed in business without really trying. Mm -hmm. I hate that show. (laughs) And they're, you know, they're not going to see how to succeed with a bunch of white people and be totally disinterested that like, actually we are, are finding works that are, are interesting and representative of their own experiences yeah exactly yeah so I think once we start producing that I think that then the audience will come but it's also like okay great you can't use the same traditional marketing strategy like you can't 
just be like, I'm just going to put an ad in the Inquirer. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah, Um, the other options available. Yeah. Yeah. Be more creative. Like, what is actually, what is the media that (laughs) all the other people in our city consume? You know, there's more more to life than than one or two publications. Wow. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how, yeah, if you, it's kind of like a cycle of like, okay, who's on your board? who is your target audience and who is choosing the show. And if you can change like one of those facets, you can kind of make leeway with the rest. Um, well, exactly. Try because in there. Yes. It's like all, almost all three of them have to happen at the same time. Yeah. But when one is really locked down, the others will follow. I think, mm-hmm. I hope, but in that, what board member of color wants to be a part of producing work that they're not interested in or don't feel represented by? Yeah. So you need to be working towards making that work, but then that, and that will create an environment then that board members want to be a part of. And then the board members will help create an environment that is more conducive to creating and executing that Mm -hmm. art. And then, once you make that art and you do it well, yeah. then the audience members will follow. So, you know, not <laughs> there's a lot of assumptions in that, <laughs> what, I, what I just said. Yeah, very simplified but, version, but. Right. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And then, so how would, talking about Philly, Philly theater. On the Philly. Whole, <laughs> um, we kind of talked about this before about like, what is Philly theater? But what do you think we're doing really well right now? And what do you think can be improved? Philly theater is is really good at starting discourse and at offering forums for conversation. Mm, yes. Yeah. So that, you know, there's the Philly theater Facebook group. There's the theater Alliance listserv. Really theater Philadelphia has a, a big hand in all of the things that, um, that allow us to kind of gather and talk as a, a community. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited that Lanish Miller-White is the new executive director. Yes. She's awesome. Aren't you talking to her too? I am next week. <laughs> I love Lanish. Very excited. Um, so we, like, we have the opportunity to have these discussions and like town hall meetings and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic started, there was a group of theater administrators that were like, okay, let's get together so we can hash out what our reopening plan is going to be, mm. which is hilarious. Wow. Because sobs. Okay. Tears. A while. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, but it turned into, okay, actually we're on hiatus right now. Mm-hmm. We're not steeped in this like hand to mouth, production cyclical everybody is stressed all the time we're producing 10,000 things everyone's doing too much right Mm -hmm. like we have this lull and guess what we should use it for (laughs) it's the perfect time to restructure our organizations and to make them actively anti-racist and so we had a session with arts equity uh and faith jones jackson and amy smith and um it was really it was really awesome to be there with uh, so many other theater leaders in the community mm-hmm. and to see that like there really is a desire to change. Um, and I just hope that we continue to act on it mm-hmm. even when we are back in production. And, you know, if the world comes back to some semblance of normal that we don't, that we don't forget all of the things that we learned and that because, you know, 
you know, fingers crossed. I know this is <laughs> airing after this, but fingers crossed there won't. This might, you know, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> just I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Um, just in case. <laughs> hopefully, if President-elect Biden is inaugurated without uh, any hiccups, you know, that doesn't mean that the work is over. Mm-hmm. That means that the work is really just beginning. Yeah. That, um, you know, we need to we need to keep going and that we're we don't know everything. We're not educated enough. You know, there's like a group of theater artists that were reading and working through me and white supremacy. And Sarah and Amanda and I with Paper Dolls, that was part of our anti-racism action plan was that we were going to go through that workbook together. Um, nice. Yeah. Which we did, which was awesome. But it's not like, oh, I read the book, now I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, guess what? I'm not, uh, uh, you know, now I know everything about white supremacy and I can eradicate racism from the country. Like, If only. <laughs> it's, yeah, right? I mean, whew, I wish. Wow. But, um, but now there's you that implement and, like, create solutions from what you learned and learn more. Learn more, learn more, you know, like there, it really just was like, I was like, great, now I want to read this book, this book, this book, and this book, and like, let's do this one next. Um, because it is going to take a really, really long time. Institutional change doesn't happen overnight, but we can, we can change it. I really do think. Yeah. So we just have to keep going and not stop. Yeah. And using this time, like you said, in the pandemic, this lull that we are given as awful as it is to take that step back and really reevaluate what this industry looks like and then not just charge forward when we can come back at like, okay, let's pick up where we left off. No, let's like move forward. Let's take what we learned during this break, so to speak, and implement it. And yeah, I think I have one more question for you. So, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> this whole podcast is geared towards, you know, I'm not just Philly theater, but especially emerging arts leaders like myself, like just graduating. Um, what do you want emerging arts leaders, the leaders of the next generation to know about this industry? Uh, I think the first thing is that we want you. We want you here. We want you to be here. Um so many, I think, I can't think of a single, you know, current arts leader who would not like sit down and have coffee with you if you asked. Yes, yeah. So, you know, we're very excited about this industry because we love it. You know, we wouldn't be here if we didn't love it. And we want there to be a, a wonderful future for the entertainment industry as a whole. And that comes from you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Like you said, I loved what you said about mentorship, that it doesn't have to be someone older than you. You know, like I learn so much from every intern I've had. Shout out, Tanner. (laughs) Um, You know, and I I just think it's really important because ultimately when I think of Philly theater, it is very familial in that it's like, in that it's ultimately very loving, but there are is drama there's generational divides for sure Mm. so i think that the more that we can you know open up those those wells of conversation you know we're not scary um Mm -hmm. and we like talking especially talking about theater so if you're an emerging arts leader like yo hit me up 
I want to zoom. I want to have a coffee. I want to, you know, um, and I also really hope that they carry on the mission of Mm anti-racism for ever. Yes. I have a lot of faith in the next generation, I think. Yo, me too, man. I've been seeing how much just, you know, trolling Trump on TikTok and that now they're on parlor and like a, a Gen a Z. Great job. <laughs> oh my God. They're just so phenomenal. So um a generational Z wow, now I sound like ancient. Okay. <laughs> but so someone posted on parlor and was like, oh hey guys, um if y'all need a pardon just message me your name and your address and what crimes you committed and Donald Trump will pardon you. I saw and that. And guess what? Did you see that? Yeah. And literally hundreds, hundreds of people were like, do, do, do. I committed treason. Can I have a pardon? My name is Johnny Say So. And I was like, wow, God. technology will be their downfall. I'm and I'm okay with that. They didn't give out the, their social security numbers to I think it would have if, if you asked. It's like the OG Facebook scam where it's like, oh, type your social security number in. Facebook won't let you do it. Yeah. And they put like star, 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 star. And then people are like, oh, mine didn't work. Here's my social security number. It's three zeros. You know? <laughs> so oh, I love it. Yeah. Gen Z, I think, will. <laughs> if- Gen Z's taking over the world and I'm here for it. I'm ready. Whether through leadership they just take or it now. trolling, whatever it is, whatever their way is. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. Well, um, if any listeners want to keep up with you, how can they reach out to you? And what are you working on next? Like, how can they keep up? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram. My Instagram is at Lady Gracie. My name is G-R-A-Y-C-E. Gray like the color C-E. And then um, you also could follow my small dog, Pepper Rose, oh, yes, at Pepper Rose Puppy. <laughs> She's also on TikTok at Pepper Rose Puppy. Um, and then... Oh my God, she's the literal star. Um, you can hit up, you know, 11th Hour or Paper Dolls page. Um, and then in terms of what's coming up, Paper Dolls will hopefully be producing. Um, we're working on our next show, which is an intersection of women in politics and witches. Ooh, nice. Ooh, I'm so excited. So um, hopefully we'll be doing at least, you know, a work in progress showing or ultimately a full production maybe in, you know, fall mm-hmm. 2021. Yeah. So um, yeah, keep a lookout, follow Paper Doll Ensemble on Facebook and Insta for updates on our next show. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody, you can find out more about 11th Hour. Um, their handle is at 11th Hour Theater Co. on Instagram. And Paper Doll Ensemble is at Paper Doll Ensemble <laughs> um, to keep up with Gracie's work and follow Gracie on fi- um, Facebook and Instagram. Um, all the links will be in the bio of this episode and on the at Pull Back the Curtain Pot Instagram page. Um, thank you, Gracie. I really <gasps> appreciate you. you coming on. You're one of my first guests. And thanks for just being a positive voice throughout this whole process. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. This was super fun.
Thank you for listening and supporting Pull Back the Curtain, a Philly theater podcast. If you would like to support the artists involved with this project, please donate to the GoFundMe linked in the description of the episode. Thank you to our top-level donors, Katrina Chavez, Stephanie Smith, Brandon Wiles, and Joe and Doreen Catalona. A special shout-out this week to donors Tanner Richardette and Tara Farrell. Thank you so much and much love, as always, to both of you.